Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of, of our flesh. Paul says we were all part of that, that same body of disobedience, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us. Not just a love, but a great love. He loves you desperately. Even if you don't know who he is, he's already spotted you. He's already seen you. He already knows you. With a desperate love, a great love. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I just want to go back to the very first line, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. I just want to preach to you this morning, made alive. Anybody grateful to be alive today? Amen. Are you grateful to be alive in the Lord? Amen. I am thankful for the second life that he gave me, the new birth that he gave me. Amen. What a great experience. You may be seated today. God bless you. Many times in my ministry, one of the parts that's not so pleasant is when I have to be in a place with some folks where a uh, a word is coming from a doctor or somebody that maybe I'm standing by bedside of that person, and the doctor said, we're sorry we've done all that we can do. There's nothing else that we can do. There's no medicine. There's no cure. There's no treatment. There's no procedure that we have that can make this go away. And in essence, they are giving an expiration date to this person. Now, I understand we all, we all, as much as we like to not deal with it, not think about it. We all have an expiration date unless the Lord comes and takes us home by the rapture, which I believe is very possible. I really do believe that we could be the generation that sees the second coming of the Lord. I believe that that could happen at any moment, at any time. There's so few things that need to take place for him to be able to come back and take his church home. But we all find it a hard thing when final words are spoken and the last attempts have been made and they finally look at you and say, we've done everything that we can do. 
There's nothing else that we can try. And I want us to understand today that this is really our story. This is what Paul is, in a spiritual sense, describing to the Ephesians by saying, you know what, we are finite beings. We are people that lived under the law. We are people that dealt with the law of sin. We are people that really had no future, no hope. We are people that, because of sin that was introduced into the world, are no longer infinite beings, even though initially we were created to live forever in obedience. When disobedience stepped in, it caused a serious problem called sin, and the ultimate penalty of sin is death. The Bible only really records two men that I'm aware of that ever were allowed to bypass that first death, that all of us, barring the second coming of the Lord, will one, time, one day face. The older I get, the more I, I, I have to think about certain things, the more I have to prepare for certain things, and because I realized that at the age of 55, I, I am most likely well beyond halfway through my life. That's hard to believe because in my mind, a lot of times I still, I still think like I'm a 25 or 30-year-old man, but when I look in the mirror, it argues with what my mind says, and my vision tells me that my mind is playing tricks on me. When I get up to move, I noticed a while ago, I got up out of that chair, and I got up really slow, and I, I was thinking to myself, I hope nobody notices how much of an old man I look like right now. I'm getting up all stiff and, and sore, and I'm like, why am I like this? I'm not that old, but I guess really I am. And all those things are little indications that my time on earth has a, an expiration date. I have to deal with that. And the, 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 the more that I deal with that, the better off I can prepare for that. Two men, Enoch and Elijah, Bible tells us that Enoch was translated that he should not see death. Of course, we all know Elijah's incredible story of his departure in a chariot of fire as Elisha stands by and watches him whisk away, and all of a sudden, out of the air, out of the sky, comes falling this cloak and hits the ground, and Elisha reaches down and picks up the cloak, picks up the mantle, steps into his ministry as he follows this great man of God. Really kind of a grim thing that Paul is talking about, facing your mortality. There's nothing more grim than facing our mortality without knowing who Jesus Christ is. I shudder at the thought of walking off into eternity not knowing God. I, I, there's not a lot of things that scare me. There's not a lot of things that that, that I, I feel like I, I would run from, but, but this is one thing that would frighten me right down to my, my very core, is to walk off into eternity and not have the salvation of Jesus Christ. Now, you might be thinking, wow, Brother Rice is kind of heavy this morning. That's not where my message is ending. I'm just trying to help us comprehend that what we do here today is a very important thing, that how we treat Jesus Christ in our life is not something that we need to be haphazard about, 
that there are things that we need to stop and think about. There are things that are going to go beyond tomorrow and next week and next month and maybe 10 or 20 or 30 years from now. There is a thing called eternity that we must concern ourselves with. Already stated before, there was a dispensation that did not know what it meant to have their sins washed away. Rolled ahead, maybe. Come see the priest, bring your sacrifice. Priest would take the sacrifice, sacrifice for you. The sins would be rolled ahead, but at the end of next year, you came right back, and, and all those sins would be facing you again. You would have to deal with them again. You would have to face them again. Once again, go before the priest and once again offer another sacrifice. But there came a man named Jesus Christ who was more than just a man. He was a spotless lamb that was slain from the foundations of the earth for a purpose. And that purpose was so that you can know what it felt like to have your sins washed completely away. Amen. To walk in the newness of life. To feel the freedom of living sin free. And that's why I want to go on to what Paul had to say, because there's a, a portion in there where he turns the page, so to speak, flips it over to the next chapter. Yes, you were dead. Yes, you lived a certain way. Yes, there was a time when you didn't really have much of a choice, but Paul said, you who were dead in your trespasses, and I emphasize the word were because it puts things in a past tense. Oh, some of us used to be. Some of us were alcoholics. Some of us were drug addicts. Some of us were living a sinful and lustful lifestyle. But Paul said, no more do you have to live that way. If you've come in contact with the same God that I've come in contact with, if you've met Jesus Christ on your road to Damascus experience, it'll change everything for you. And he was speaking to a group of people on this day that he wanted to remember, hey, you used to be a certain way, but God has brought you out. And you have been made alive in him. One time they were doomed by sin, but no longer. I need to take advantage of those things. I need to take advantage of those things. And I want everybody that I know to at least have the opportunity to take advantage of those things. I appreciated the message this morning that we heard uh, about taking the truth that we have and, and spreading it around. Why, why, why wouldn't we tell people about Jesus Christ? Now, I'm not talking about kicking down people's doors. I'm talking about when they open up that door to step right on in and say, listen, I have the answer for you. Who, which one of us, if we, were, if we were sick and somebody had the cure right next to us, would not want them to share the cure with us? This thing called sin is a serious business. It's a serious thing, and it has a penalty with it called death, and that death isn't just a first death, but there is a second death that lasts for an entire eternity, never ending. I don't mean to be morbid here, but I've come to tell somebody there is a plan of escape. There is a way called Jesus. There is a blood that was shed that covers you and takes away the sins of the world. Paul told them you once were children of wrath. But God, he stepped in with the remedy for humanity. With one drop of sinless blood, he adopted us. 
No longer are we children of wrath, but now sons of God. I think about that for a minute. I was proud of who my father was. My father was never on any great scale. He was never a great politician. He was never uh, president of or CEO of some corporation. My dad, he was a blue-collar worker. He was a coal miner. He was a truck driver. But he was a good, good, good man, and he loved Jesus Christ. He loved God. And I was proud for him to be my father. I think that's why the Bible tells us I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. Amen. I choose not to hide this light under a bushel, but I choose for all men everywhere to know that I am proud of my heavenly father. I'm not ashamed to call him my dad. I'm not ashamed to call him my heavenly father. I'm not ashamed to present him to somebody else and say, this is who I serve. I'm a son of God. Nobody appreciates that more than somebody that used to be a child of wrath. Where there once was a death sentence, we have been made alive. You know, the majority of the problems that we have in this church, we have because we are a church that is alive. Somebody says, we got problems? They're good problems. They're good problems. I've come this morning to tell you that there's nothing that God won't do for a church that is alive in him. We have problems, yeah. We, we, we have a problem because this is a church that, that is alive. Live churches have space problems. Live churches don't have enough parking space. Live churches don't have enough classrooms. Amen. Dead churches don't have to worry about uh, not having enough parking spaces, not having enough pews. They don't have to worry about going through the effort of setting out extra chairs someplace. But churches that are alive, they've got problems. Live churches are always changing things, doing crazy stuff like landmark links. Brunch with the ladies. Extra things, but dead churches are happy just to show up for 45 minutes and then scatter like cockroaches when the lights go on, uh, when it's all over with. They come together out of commitment just because they feel like it's what they're supposed to do. But churches that are alive come together because they love each other. Greater man, amen. I'm telling you, greater love hath no man. God is here and he's in this place and he shows us his love by loving one another. Live churches have noisy children. <laughs> Dead churches are usually fairly quiet and calm. Don't clap your hands in a dead church. Don't shout amen in a dead church. Don't clap when the preacher says something you agree with in a dead church. You'll raise the dead, I promise you. A 
Live churches struggle to remember new names because there's so many new faces coming in every week that it's hard to keep them all together. I'll be honest with you. I'm the pastor. I'm still struggling with people's names that have been here 10 years. I've got real issues. I can remember a face entire lifetime. Names I have a little trouble with. Dead churches, well, everybody knows everybody. They know where they sit and what they drive and where they live and everything there is to know about them, all the good and the bad. Dead churches are just, they're not concerned with having new babies in the church. I'll take, I'll take a noisy bunch of little kids. Bring me life. I'm telling you what, that noise that I hear right there, that means that there is life, that there's another generation coming behind us, and we've got to teach them to love the Lord with all the heart, mind, and soul. Give me the noise, but give me life, because where there is noise, that means there is life. Live churches are energized and enthused by worship. <laughs> Dead churches are embarrassed and exhausted by worship. I can remember going to different places where it's hard when your apostolic Pentecostals are going to a, another church. And not all other churches are like this. There's some that are demonstrative in their worship that are not apostolic Pentecostal. We're not the only ones that worship demonstratively. Amen. We just are people that know what God has done for us and recognize him and are not ashamed to worship him. I'm not going to sit here all pretty and, and pious when I have just had a death sentence lifted, when I have been resuscitated. Amen. God has given me a second chance at a brand new life. Amen. If I feel like running, I'm going to run. If I feel like shouting, I'm going to shout. If I feel like singing, I'm going to sing at the top of my voice. If I feel like clapping my hands, I'm going to clap my hands because you can do that in a church that is alive in Christ Jesus. Live churches evangelize. That's what we're talking about. Everything we do is about reaching out. Everything we do is about trying to help somebody better their lives. Everything we do is about reaching out and evangelizing and trying to help somebody be introduced to Jesus Christ. Live churches evangelize. Dead churches fossilize. Ruts are a trap of the enemy. Jesus is back at the temple. Mary's flustered. She has no idea where he's at. He's not, she just knows she's, he's not with her. They run back in. They find him in the temple. Ask him the question, what are you doing here? He simply says, I must be about my father's business. I must be about my father's stuff to do. A church that is alive has stuff to do, has a process that it is following to evangelize this community, to reach out and introduce Jesus Christ to anybody that will listen, anybody that wants to be a part, anybody that's hurting, anybody that's in need. A live church is not afraid of reaching out to somebody that needs to, to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not afraid to evangelize. It's not afraid of a little inconvenience. No, it will step up to the task because it realizes that we are here here to be about the Father's business. 
Several years ago, we had a dog, and uh, we had a couple of dogs, and uh, the first one passed away while we were on vacation. Sister Joanne had to make that dreaded phone call. I think she liked the dog better than I did. Wasn't too long after that that our second dog passed away. Now that one, that one hurt. That one, he was my buddy. The other dog, I was, I, I loved her, but I wasn't as attached to her as I was the other. Now, I, I still remember we had just built a house out in the country, about an hour north of here. Uh, living out in the country, surrounded by woods and fields. We're going to have mice. We're going to. We already had deer walking through the yard, raccoons climbing all over the place. We, I thought, we, we need a dog just to keep things at bay. We got three little kids, and, and so we found this little dog, and, uh, a little, uh, like a little border collie, sheep dog type dog. He was, a, he was a mixed breed, and somebody was willing to give him away, and we thought, we'll take him. And so we brought him home, and, and I remember bringing him home, and, and I kept him on a on a leash for a little while, but then I decided he calmed down. I thought, well, we'll we'll see if he'll just stay right here in the yard. And here comes a tractor around the corner on a one-lane uh, road, not a highway, just one lane, one lane, one car lane that we lived on. And this big tractor come around the corner, and that dog took off. I mean, he took off, scared half to death. And I hopped in my vehicle to go chase after him, but I couldn't get around the tractor because the tractor took up the entire road. And so finally, the tractor turned off, and I drove to where the last place I'd saw. The dog run off out into a field, and I parked the, the truck, and I took off walking and chased him, and I, I chased that dog all over. I Probably two or three miles, I chased that dog through fields and across railroad tracks. Finally, I got him to where he calmed down enough where I could get him to come to me, and I carried that dog all the way back home. Walked him all the way back home. We bonded right then and there. That dog became my dog. I mean, he was friendly to everybody, but if I walked in the room, he wanted me. Through the years, we fed that dog, gave him food and water and shots and shelter and care when we went on vacation. I, I would worry about him. I remember one time we were getting ready to leave on vacation. He got up took off running. He must have thrown his back out or something. Man, can I relate to that? I mean, he whimpered and crawled into his his little carrier box there that we had set up for him out in the garage. And he wouldn't move. I mean, he was in pain. Any little, he, uh, he'd start to wag his tail and then he'd whimper. I mean, it even hurt him to wag his tail, I guess. And and uh, I, I, we were getting ready to go on vacation. I was, do you remember this? I mean, I no, she, she didn't love the dog like I did. I thought, how can I go on vacation? I think we're headed to because of the times. I mean, it, we were going with, with another couple and, and headed out of town. I thought, how can I leave on vacation? My, my dog's he's letting me hurting. And so I called the vet. And, you know, that costs money to, to uh, you know, if you've got to take them to the vet. But I was desperate. I was willing to spend money on this dog. For those of you who don't, don't know me, just let me say, rest assured, that's a big deal for me. took care of him. It was a lot of responsibility. 
while that dog was alive. That dog has passed away now. We, we have decided we're not getting another dog. We're, we're not. In the backyard of, of our house where we live today, Brother Tomas can attest to one of those because I had him while we were on vacation the first time. Called him up, hottest day of the century. I said, listen, I said, our dog passed away. Would you mind going over and burying it? He very politely agreed. He didn't know what he was getting himself into. He took care of, he t- he took care of that one that one grave for the, for the first dog. But I was I was digging a hole and creating a swimming pool with my tears for the second dog. I mean, the tears were flowing. I'm not going to cry right now. Don't worry. I, that's not where this is going. The way the dog passed away was kind of devastating. Uh, I, he had pretty much gone deaf. I wasn't seeing so good. He'd always behaved so well. And about a year before he passed away, I, I thought, that little joker, he is not minding me at all. I didn't realize he couldn't hear. Now, you know, his back pain I can relate to, his hearing problem I can relate to. I mean, I'm like, is this what he was going through? I should have treated that dog a lot better. He deserved better treatment. He always got up. We 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 opened up the garage door. We had he had a whole backyard, but we kept the back garage door open. He'd just lay in the coolness of the garage floor there on the concrete right by the door out of the way and we'd pull in he'd always hear it feel the vibrations whatever get up hop up and move around we we had left the house one day me and my wife and and morgan and uh we we forgot something and we always do i mean that's just our neighbors i guarantee you sit at the door and say uh i give them two minutes for the back pulling in the driveway again oh a minute and a half see yeah there they are again what they forget this time i mean we just make a loop around the block come back Get what we forget and then go on our way. And that's what we had done. We were in a big hurry, running late for something. I opened up the garage door, and before it was all the way up, I started pulling in real quick. And he, did, he didn't move, and he wasn't where he normally lays. And I, uh, well, you know what I did. I heard the yelp, and I backed up real quick and hopped out, came inside, and I shut the garage door. Morgan was out in the car hyperventilating. I mean, literally, she <laughs> could hardly breathe. And Lisa jumped in the back with her, and I, I said, don't come in here till, till I tell you you can't. So I'm kneeling down over this dog knowing he is gasping his last breath, and I'm just apologizing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And the tears start running down my, I'm sorry. I may cry. I may cry for it's over with. Put him in a... And wrapped him up in a in a blanket and went out in the yard and laid him down in that hole, crying the whole time. Told Lisa and Morgan, "You can come in the house now, but don't don't come out back till I'm done." I've told that whole story to say this: that dog has not been one ounce of trouble since I buried him, since he died. There's a little bump that I just go right over the top of with the lawnmower in the backyard. No disrespect intended. Where <laughs> you see, 
dead things don't take much, don't take much care. He was a whole lot of trouble when he was alive. There was a whole lot of responsibility when he was alive, but when he died, things were easy. No more shots, no more dog food, no more watching where you stepped out in the backyard anymore. None of that, all of that was gone. And I'm telling you this today, if you're looking for a church where you're never going to be inconvenienced or there's never going to be anything going on or you're never going to have to move over a little bit or you're never going to have to give up your favorite spot or you're never going to have to do this or do that, you might be in the wrong place because this church is not dead. This church is alive because Jesus Christ is here. There's some responsibility that we've got to step up to the plate on. There's some inconveniences and some money that's got to be put forth to make things happen, but I'll take that on being alive any day over being dead any day. Amen. Give me life because Jesus Christ is life. And if you want to just walk off and be dead someplace, amen, this ain't your spot. This is a place where there is life to be had. Where music come today. He has made us alive, and he's made us that way for a purpose. And that purpose is to occupy until he comes. The word occupy is where we get our, our word occupation. What, what do you do for a living? What are we asking? We're asking, what's your occupation? Where do you work? to take care of the master's business until he returns. His business is people. His business isn't this building. We got to take care of this too. This is part of, this is where we gather, but this is not the church. This is where the church comes together. Would you stand with me today? I don't want this church to ever find its place where it's just tucked away on the back side of the block where nobody knows us, nobody's heard of us. We are landmark apostolic, and it's in him that we live and move and have our being. Yes, we have to walk by faith and not by sight at times. There are times when we don't have the answers for everything. But one thing I know, our occupation, our matter of business at hand is to take care of the master's business. And his business his business is people. And that's why you matter, Brother Carl. You matter. That's why Sister Light matters. That's why these kids on the front row, they matter. That's why our visitors that walk through the door, they matter. Because everything we do is not just about tomorrow or next week, but it's about eternity. It's about helping somebody that's looking for a better way. 
It's about having the cure and sharing it with those that are sick from the effects of sin. It's about remembering where the Lord brought us from, the kid that skipped out on the prayer service and came to the game night. But God had already chosen him, kind of like I did long before my daughter did. You see, I saw you, and it wasn't underneath the fig tree. It was at youth rallies that I attended. That Jones kid caught my eye. I watched him worship. I told Mallory, she's looking for a boyfriend. I said, what about him? She goes, nah. Then she wisened up. Listen to her old daddy. And 13 years later, is it 13? Almost 13. Come here, Easton. Look at this. Look, 10 years ago, they they brought this little boy into the world. Can you remember? I don't remember. It was sonograms, okay? I can remember when our children, when Mallory, his mother, we went to the doctor for the very first time before she was born. They said, see that? I couldn't make much up out of Kyle. I, I really couldn't. Okay, they're telling me that's the head. But one thing I noticed, there was a little bright light that kept flashing, and flashing kind of quick. And they said, you see, I, see that? I said, yeah, what is that? They said, that's the heartbeat. I knew that there was life. There's life. I didn't know what you looked like. I knew you were going to be handsome because you were my grandson. You got good looking parents, you know that? You see that. There's still no greater miracle on this earth in the physical sense than when God gives life. It's a beautiful, miraculous thing to be the, a part of the creation of a brand new heartbeat. Can I tell you today, there is a new birth experience that's found in the book of Acts chapter 2, where the people were gathered in this place, and for the very first time ever, there was a 120 people that, that got in unity together, one mind, one accord, kind of like I feel we are. We're all rowing the same way. Some are rowing a little faster than others. Some are positioned in a different spot in the boat than others, but everybody's rowing the same way. We're in one mind and one accord, and suddenly I, there was a sound. That sound swept into that place like a mighty rushing wind. And people began for the very first time to speak in a language that they didn't learn, they didn't know. That the Spirit, the Bible says, gave them the utterance, gave them the ability, gave them the words to speak. And there were others that around that knew that they didn't know the language, and it was a, it was a way of reaching out to people with this supernatural experience to let them know that what they're dealing with is real. And so they began to question, what's going on? And Peter took the his opportunity to stand up that day, and he says, I'll tell you what's happening. This is what Joel was talking about way back in the Old Testament in the last days that the Lord was going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. 
He withholds his spirit from no one. And I don't care where you've been, what you've done, what your life has been like up to this point. God wants to give you life. Would you bow your heads today? Feel the Lord's presence in this place. I know it's a tough thing to come to an altar. So I'm just going to invite everybody that would. The church, I'm going to invite you in. Maybe, maybe you're not comfortable to come to an altar today, and we don't want to, we don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. But whether it be right where you're at, if you just want something more than what you currently have in God, I promise you, God's not going to jam a bunch of stuff down your throat. God is not going to force a bunch of changes upon you. He's going to offer you life. Peter simply looked at them and he, they were asking, what, 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 what must we do? What, what do we got to do? Because he told them this is happening because of the one that you crucified, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that those that were there were convicted. They felt conviction. They understood that they had been in the wrong. They understood that they were in a place of guilt. Peter said the same thing that Paul said. You don't have to stay that way. The Lord has brought you to this moment in time for you to hear this message. All you have to do is repent of your sins, and that's simply just telling the Lord, I'm sorry. Understanding you're not perfect, understanding you need him, understanding that you have offended his laws, understand that you are a sinner, as we all are. None of us are exempt from that. It's simply a heartfelt apology and a turning away from the old ways. And then he said, I want you to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For it's a promise that's to you and your children. All those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And just in case you're wondering, he is still calling. He's still calling. As they begin to sing, I just open this altar up and we make this entire place an altar. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.